Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. All right, Corey. You got to help me with this. It's going to suck. <laughs> You're going to make it better? Hey, Fitz. You just sent me music back. Mm-hmm. Everyone doesn't know, Cordelia and I, through the pandemic, I've kind of like tried to teach myself how to play piano. Um, and I've been writing songs and I suck, but I send the ideas to Cord. She takes them, turns them into something awesome. You probably heard some of these songs here on this podcast. It's been a, it's been a really fun thing. And I, so I just, I just did a new one because, you know, it was like I had nothing to do on a Tuesday night. So anyway, I'm about to listen to it. This is what Court sent back to me. Sweet. (laughs) You can actually play in time. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh my God. There's your little call and response. (laughs) I love it. You know what this reminds me of? What? Of, of like, when you look in the old books, old, like, climbing guides or outdoor guides or whatever from 30 years ago, and you see these people that have these giant, like, 80-pound packs and, and boots, uh, and they're, they're, they took 48 days to put up the first ascent on this peak, and now people are, like, running it <laughs> in tennis shoes and, like, T-shirts. 
I feel old, <laughs> I think is maybe what I'm saying. Like there's so much respect for, for the people that laid out a vision, right? Mm-hmm. And, but it all gets faster and better and smoother. And yet the feeling stays the same. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's such a, it's a really apt analogy because as a musician and a outdoors person, I find so many connections between the two, between creativity and athletic movement. And in terms of composing, like when you send me a song, I could never compose what you composed. Like my style is so different than yours that it makes me feel a whole different set of emotions that I wouldn't feel with my own music. Like it takes you sending me that and inspiring a different kind of sound and a different vision. And it's really cool. Like even when I was just practicing your song, working on your song that you sent a few nights ago, I came out of the piano room and my partner Scott was sitting on the couch and he was like, oh, Fitz's Fitz's new song is really cool. I was like, oh, how did you know it was Fitz's? And he was like, well, it sounds just like Fitz. (laughs) Like it sounds like your personality and not like mine because he's obviously really familiar with the kind of music that I write and it's really different than yours but it was so recognizably you which is cool because I can kind of access what you find beautiful or what you find engaging on the piano it has your signature on it which I think you're saying is really similar in the mountains like with a route that somebody puts up on a rock climb or Mm -hmm. um, a path that somebody makes through the mountains and we can kind of access the same set of feelings or awareness when we follow in their footsteps. Yeah. And you've got a great story today, one that's been happening in in my backyard mountains here in the Cascades. And I've been kind of following along through the last little bit. I'm really excited to share it because it, it hits on this topic where it's this combination of creativity and total badass mountain movement. Mm-hmm. No, it's an amazing, really cool story about someone composing a new path through the mountains. I'm Fitz Cahal. I'm Cordelia Zars. You're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. In February 2020, Kyle McCrowan and his friend Porter McMichael woke up in a dark, cold car to their alarm set for 1.30 a.m. They'd parked at a trailhead at the base of Sloan Peak the night before, a prominent mountain in the Northwest Cascades. Here's Kyle. It's a jagged peak that some people call the Matterhorn of the Cascades because it's like the steep, rocky summit block um, and a glacier surrounding it. The west face of Sloan Peak features a roughly 600-foot snowfield that leads to the summit. Beneath the snowfield, about 1,000 feet of vertical and overhung granite cliffs, punctuated by a series of terraces. Photos of the west face showed these, like, giant ice daggers, you know, probably 100, 200 feet long, like, coming down the west face, a series of them, down this 1,000-foot near-vertical face. Kyle and Porter, at 23 and 22 years old, had been upping their ice climbing exploits and training, 
but they knew they weren't skilled enough to tackle any of the overhung mixed ice and rock routes on the face. But there did appear to be like a weakness on the right side of the face that might give a slightly less than vertical to vertical ice snow route to access the upper face. In their research, Kyle and Porter only found one trip report of someone attempting to climb that west face of Sloan in winter. The climber had tried a more difficult route than they'd attempt and had gotten weathered off. But they couldn't find any info on that weakness. Maybe people had attempted it and just not said anything. Maybe some people had climbed it, but ultimately, like, we had no real information about how that would go. In the light of their headlamps, Kyle and Porter loaded up their packs with skis, skins, ice axes, helmets, layers. They hiked the first few miles and then skinned through the snowy forest towards the base of the wall. Photos cannot quantify how scary that face felt from beneath. We were skinning up in the dark and somewhere like still like a thousand more feet below the face, we were in this feature and it felt like a moraine, like basically where you have big lateral walls and it's like deeply scooped out. Um, probably 30 feet deep and like 100 feet wide. And we're like skinning switchbacks up this. And we're like, huh, we can't really get out of it because like there's like steep trough walls. And we're like, we know this isn't a moraine. There wasn't like an, an 18th century glacier. Like what this means is that this is a depression carved by avalanche debris. Like because of how big that face is. And then we started to get into the light we're skinning beneath the face and there's looking thousands of feet up at these like hundred foot daggers hanging from cliffs and all the terraces and steps. And it was just absolutely magnificent. Um, have never been in a setting like that. It, it just didn't seem like it was possible to like, be here in Washington, like within sight of Seattle. As the sun nudged above the Eastern horizon, Kyle and Porter worked their way up towards the beginning of their ice route, which angled up from a goalie that split the western face. After some scrambling and one moderate ice pitch, they arrived in the base of the goalie. And we looked up and it was just like incredibly fat blue ice, like better than we could have ever hoped for. Kyle and Porter knew they had a finite window to get up this wall. Because it faces west, the sun would start to bake the ice and snow by midday, which can cause aerated ice, bad for protection. And with a 45-degree snow slope above the cliffs, they didn't want to risk any instability with warming snow. So they slid into their harnesses and crampons, roped up, and began climbing. On the first few pitches, Kyle and Porter swapped leads and simul-climbed up easier sections. It was a mix of rock and ice. So climbing up to like 200-foot rope lengths and pretty steep, like certain sections, you know, would be almost vertical or vertical for, you know, 40 to 50 feet at a time and then angling back. But it was just actually, it was like surprisingly full on. 
The ice climbing was harder than they expected, steep and tiring. They had to place a lot of protection, which slowed their pace. We also made the decision to carry skis up the route because there's no easy way off the west face and the traditional route descends the other side and it's like a giant loop around the mountain. And with how deep the snow is in the Cascades, you cannot not bring skis. Like you will post hole like crazy and not be able to get off. So we brought like our lightest skis and put them on our backs. And but that just made our packs even heavier and I think it kind of added to the fatigue. After about a thousand feet of pitching, simul climbing, and soloing, only a hundred feet remained of the vertical face before they reached the steep snow field that led to the summit. By this time, it was around 11.30 a.m. Kyle and Porter knew they needed to keep moving before the sun hit the ice and the snow above them. So they tied in again, and Kyle started leading the next pitch, up a steep section of mixed snow and ice. Not much for protection, so he moved carefully along a leftward traverse to the final ice step. And it's like, sometimes can be hard to gauge the steepness of ice straight on until like you're actually climbing it. And started climbing it, realized it was like, all my options here are like basically vertical. There's like a mixed option out left, could kind of go straight up and was just trying to get kind of tired on my calves, like tried to put in an ice screw for protection. But the ice that we encountered here was like that massively different than the rest of the route. The rest of the route was like fat, really hard ice that like is really trustworthy, really easy to put in a screw. And this was like kind of the softer, like felt kind of aerated, slushy. And so the screw wasn't really taking let alone like as trustworthy and that kind of ice. Kyle tried to get an ice screw in for about 10 minutes, holding his entire body weight in his calves. By this time, the sun had edged over the mountain and cast the face in warm light. Finally, he managed to get a 16 centimeter screw into the softening ice. That seemed good-ish, like it was, I could not pull it out hard and it was in the best ice I could find. With one screw in, Kyle decided to keep moving up the slope. He could see the finish line. And so I kind of just got in the mentality, which you can often get to as an ice climber of like, just trust your climbing and just top out because the longer you spend waiting there, the more your body will actually get tired. And so I continued up and it got to like vertical, slightly overhung, and then the top out, which it rolls closer to flat. And top outs are like something that are much more difficult because you have to like, you're dealing with like the physics of getting your body over a roll is much more difficult actually than just like continuing straight up. And the problem was like when I like reached over the top, my upper body just like really, really tired because I've worn myself out at this point. I discovered that like over the other side, the uh, snow is like not good for your tools. Like, reaching further, I couldn't get good sticks. Um, it was like really unconsolidated, not what I expected. Again, like not what we had seen throughout the route. Kyle managed to get a few tools in the sun-affected ice over the lip. 
Too exhausted to try to pull himself up, he clipped his personal anchor into a tool to give himself a chance to rest. And I don't remember the rest of this quite that well, but I knew it was in a bad spot. Now, Kyle didn't grow up in an outdoorsy family or have a role model who hooked him on adventure sports. Instead, Kyle spent his childhood diligently practicing music. I've always been a pretty creative person. Like, I started piano when I was age five and started saxophone when I was 10. But even as a young musician, Kyle liked to pave his own way. I was the one who derived more satisfaction from writing my own music, going my own path and doing something that felt like unique like that. I actually used to do like classical saxophone competitions and I just stopped because I was like, this is so stupid. I'm just playing this artificially difficult piece where like the fingerings are purposely made to like be as technically difficult as possible. This is not beautiful. This is not true to who I am. Just to like feel like you're doing something different, to feel like you're not just like one of like seven billion people. That was like, I think one of the core like feelings I was going for. Eventually, Kyle did discover the outdoors. When he got his driver's license in high school, He and some cross-country buddies started exploring local trails and peaks near his hometown, Briar, Washington. After their first backpacking trip, which involved a midwinter slog through the Cascades, frozen water bladders that exploded in the middle of the night, and a pond skate under the stars, Kyle knew he had found something special. Honestly, I look back and like that was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had because it felt so novel and it felt so adventurous and unique. Exploring the outdoors gave Kyle that same feeling he got improvising on the saxophone, and he wanted more. So over the next couple years, he devoured adventure stories and outdoor guides. He bought helmets, ice axes, crampons, and began to teach himself some technical mountaineering skills from books and YouTube. Near the start of college, Kyle learned crevasse rescue from the book Freedom of the Hills, and he and a few friends summited Mount Rainier in 2015 and began ticking off other glaciated volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest. I never really had, like, a mentor growing up. It was always just, like, kind of me and my friends as equals, all kind of young and clueless, like, just figuring things out and doing things as we went. And I think that, looking back, that's actually a pretty unusual trajectory into mountains. I think most people see like mountain climbing and mountain sports as something that requires a lot of expertise or guidance. And like people rely on having a mentor or joining a club or taking classes. And I just didn't really know better. Um, But I think that my very like organic growth in the mountains really was a gift for me because I'm very independent. I'm very good at learning things. And because there was no one telling me how to do things, 
there was no one telling me how not to do things. And maybe that can like bring in certain risks, but at the same time, it also like brings a lot of freedom and creativity and you can start to like envision ways of doing things differently. Kyle's passion for the outdoors snowballed. He picked up rock climbing and taught himself how to trad climb, again, from books and videos. At the same time, he started running trails and pushing his mileage. In the winter, he got a downhill ski pass and taught himself how to carve turns in powder, and eventually bought touring gear to explore the backcountry. By his senior year of college, Kyle decided he wanted to learn how to ice climb. And I was like, how do you do it? Well, it seems like High Lake Canyon is a good place. So uh, I convinced a buddy of mine to do a few long weekends in Highlight, driving there from Spokane, where we were going to college, and started top roping a ton and started leading easy stuff. I kind of wish sometimes that I could just be someone who could like go out for a hike and enjoy nature. But for me, like, I'm definitely the kind of person who feels like I need to be moving forward. I need to be improving. And maybe it comes from my family upbringing. My mom um, is a Cambodian immigrant who lived through the Khmer Rouge, which was a period of genocide in Cambodia in the 1970s. And during that period, about like 25% of the country's population was killed. Um, And her family escaped to Thailand eventually and like moved to America and were just like incredibly hardworking. And that immigrant work ethic is really in my family. So in line with that nonstop work ethic, Kyle kept pushing his limits in the outdoors, going longer, faster, harder. And as his technical skills and endurance improved, he found himself taking bigger and bigger risks to chase that feeling of novelty he'd stumbled across on his first night under the stars. And ice climbing first ascents in the Cascades, it gave him that feeling. Purposefully straying from the topos and like entering the unknown. Like the feeling of going out on that final pitch and not knowing if I was going to have to down climb, if it was going to get me to the top, was a sense of raw adventure that really like made me realize how it must have felt to like people climbing, you know, 50, 100 years ago in these ranges. It was a sense of like wildness and adventure that like really impacted me down to the core. But now, as he struggled to pull himself over the top out on Sloan Peak, Kyle wondered if, in the pursuit of novelty, he'd pushed himself too far. And I knew I was like in a bad point there because I did not have the purchase or the strength to pull that. Uh, And I don't remember the rest of this quite that well, but I knew it was in a bad spot and popped off. Find out what happens after the break. And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex, an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half height 
configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bedrock and all the dope places you go. And the next thing I remember is waking up far beneath Porter. And so we estimate that I fell about 300 feet, not like cleanly, tumbling fall down snow, maybe over some ice cliffs, but my screw, unsurprisingly, did not hold in that bad ice. After Kyle's tool and ice screw pulled, he fell all the way down on Porter's anchor, which caught Kyle a rope length below. Kyle lay unconscious in his harness for about five minutes. And he thought for a few minutes that I was dead. Porter activated their SOS device and then made a V-thread to rappel down to Kyle. When Kyle came to, he was dazed and very confused about where he was. But by the time Porter reached him, Kyle had put together what had happened and was able to stand up without much significant pain. Although his face was bloody and bruised, he didn't appear to have any significant physical trauma, like broken bones or uncontrollable bleeding. But still, they weren't sure if Kyle had internal bleeding or a serious concussion. And as they still stood right in the avalanche path, they knew they needed to get moving. We actually just rappelled down the route that we climbed. It actually went really smoothly. Somehow, after getting pummeled by Spindrift the entire time climbing, the mountain just like, even with the sun on the face above us, it kind of just like chilled out and didn't pummel us with snow. Very grateful that you know, we didn't get avalanched on <laughs> while going down. As they wrapped, Porter kept track of Kyle's vitals and coordinated the rescue. Kyle's face continued to swell, but apart from that, he seemed to be moving okay. Once they landed at the base of the wall, they waited for a helicopter. Kyle's blood and sweat-covered layers started to freeze. Eventually, they heard the helicopter coming. But because of a storm rolling in that evening, it couldn't land because of strong winds. I'd been sitting there for like an hour or two and like was like pretty mentally normal at that point and actually physically felt surprisingly not that bad. And at that point, I was like, Porter, I just want to get moving. Like, let's just ski out. Given Kyle's mental and physical state, they were fairly sure he didn't have any life-threatening injuries. So they called off the rescue and clipped into their skis. When they reached the trailhead a few hours later, Kyle's family met them and drove Kyle directly to the hospital. Now safe in a warm car, a wave of mixed emotions hit Kyle. Yeah, I was just like really upset. A lot of emotions. It's hard to describe. You know, there was a lot of like crying, apologizing, you know, like feeling like I had let people down or like let myself down, like with by making some bad decisions, by pushing myself too far by, you know, being too focused on this goal of like this perpetual search for progress, you know, of like wanting to go bigger, wanting to like do this thing that other people hadn't done. In the hospital, the doctors found a few broken bones in Kyle's face. He had two black eyes and a very swollen cheek. He had some minor hip and shoulder injuries as well, 
but remarkably, they determined that Kyle didn't have a concussion, and he checked out of the hospital four or five hours later. For months after his accident, Kyle felt pretty skittish in the mountains. He only climbed 5.5 or 5.6 trad routes, skied low angle slopes. He didn't touch ice. Basically like that whole like dimension of progress, which like maybe for rock climbing, it was like climbing harder grades or bigger routes. And like for ice climbing, it was like climbing new routes and climbing, you know, these big alpine routes. Those kind of avenues for progress were essentially like closed off because I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I think that it seems like every like really invested mountain athlete at some point in their career, like reaches a period of reckoning where the path that they've been on becomes not desirable or not sustainable at some point. And you see it for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's like an ultra runner who like is plateauing and just burning out. And they're just like, why do I keep training like more, more years? Or like, I've seen it in friends who have too many other friends who like pass away steep ski mountaineering. And they just like start to question like, do I really want to ski bigger, steeper lines? Or maybe you have someone who's kind of bumped up against their physical limit as a rock climber. And regardless, all these people who are probably very highly motivated, driven people. They've reached a point where they have to like figure out a different way to get that same satisfaction in the mountains when that very clear path that they've been following and maybe religiously training for can no longer provide that same aspect. With Kyle's work ethic and drive for progress, he couldn't just give up having goals. He needed something to motivate him. But after his fall, he also knew he had to reframe what progress meant in the mountains. I definitely like wanted a path forward, maybe something that felt safer and more sustainable. And as Kyle recovered from his accident, he thought about ways to combine more aspects of his personality to find that thrill of adventure without risking his life. I think for me, an answer to like when you feel stunted by all these different avenues of progress has been like opening up a new dimension. And for me, like that new dimension really has been creativity. I think that I'm a very independent person. I like to feel like I'm doing something different and unique. And I also feel like I can improve things. And if the current method of doing things seem subpar, like I can envision a better way. And that's like what I started to feel like I could do with trips in the mountains. So Kyle veered off the more traditional path of progress as an outdoor athlete and started improvising just like he'd done on his saxophone as a kid. So for me, the last few years has really been driven by creating unique experiences in the mountains and different trips. Um, That can look like a lot of different things. I'd say like the most common types of trips that I like to do are big non-technical traverses. 
on skis and on foot. Um, so it's like taking a part of the mountains that I really appreciate or I'm really interested in or really curious about and then crafting a route that I think will most capture the beauty of that area or maybe the style of movement that I want to do. Kyle used satellite imagery to sketch overnight and day traverses that combined trail running, rock scrambling, and shoe skiing, trips that departed from established trails and that linked up familiar scenery with terrain he'd never seen before. He started a blog, wrote about his adventures, and began to attract a following. And really, the most famous route that I've become known for is a route that I call the Alpine Lakes Crest Traverse. This is a route that starts at Snoqualmie Pass and ends at the summit of Mount Daniel, which is kind of the centerpiece of the Alpine Lakes wilderness. The big glaciated peak kind of looks like a volcano. So it felt like there was just like a lot of like secrets out there. And I wanted to do a trip in that area. This Alpine Lakes crest traverse wove on and off of trails for about 36 miles, with 14,000 feet of gain. A 20-mile off-trail section in the middle crossed talus fields, snow, and glaciers, and skirted around high alpine lakes. Kyle and his friend Logan first completed the route a few summers ago as a two-day trip. They brought light packs, crampons, and ice axes, but other than that, no technical gear. It really captured how I love to move quickly. I love to move freely. You know, I'm not the most technical climber, I, but I'm also not the fastest runner. So it's like kind of that hybrid between challenging terrain. You're always having to navigate and figure out where to go next and pick your line, but you can also have pretty lightweight gear and move quickly. The style of the movement was so good. There was absolutely no bushwhacking. Almost all the rock was really stable. There's almost no side hilling. All the descents were like perfect 25 degree shoe skiing descents in the summer. Like we had did over like 4,000 feet of shoe skiing. Like legitimately the descents were so fun. The, the quality of the movement was so fun. A lot of times with high rates in the Cascades, you're like, this is beautiful but this kind of sucks. <laughs> like the movement kind of sucks. Whereas this was like, it was elegant. It just flowed. You, you know, would go from like beautiful forest to like high glacial plateaus to like sparkling granite lakes back down into an old growth forest and then back up. Um, just to like that rise in the fall. All that was like so perfect. So previously, I'd always thought about like objectives. And that's how I think most of us think about mountain sports. What's your objective? Oh, it's to climb this route on Half Dome. Or maybe my objective is to bag these three peaks that are in the Washington Top 100 Peaks. Or maybe your objective is to ski this one couloir, right? You think of it as objectives, but really it's about creating experience. Instead of like thinking about the mountains as a single thing to tick off, it was, these are the parameters for the style of movement you like. This is a beautiful area. Now go have this wonderful, challenging experience. So we're not worried about bagging any peaks. We're not worried about 
you know, climbing some rad line. You're not limited to the confines of a trail. It's purely, it's freedom. And it means to you what is important to you. I find like people, most common question, you know, people ask like leading up to a weekend is like, what are you going to do? I think that people, it'd be really valuable if people backed up. Instead of saying like, what do you want to do? Ask, how do you want to do it? And furthermore, most importantly, why do you want to do this? This past summer, Kyle ran the Alpine Lakes Crest Traverse again with a group of friends, and this time in a single day. When we did that in a day, I was like, this to me is the purest vision of how I want to experience the mountains. I think that a lot of us like as artists have a vision of what we want our art to be, but it takes many years often to like really create that experience. And I felt like that was a big moment for me because I've done lots of high routes. I've done lots of big days in the mountains, but that, that day I was like, this is absolutely perfect. I wouldn't change a single thing. This is how I want to move in the mountains. These are the mountains I want to experience. These are the kind of people I want to be with. Over the past year and a half, Kyle has created, skied, scrambled, and run many more new link-ups and high routes in the Cascades. And as his blog following grows, other outdoor athletes, inspired by Kyle's vision, have followed in his footsteps. When people do the Alpine Lakes Crest Traverse, and I've had some friends do it um, also in a day, and they told me they felt like I was there with them. Like they, they knew what I was feeling. They're like, this is so Kyle. And that's what I want people to say. Like that this is like more like an artistic composition. It's just about like leaving your mark and creating a piece of artwork that like other people can then go experience and be moved in the same way that you are and kind of understand who you are and what you think is beautiful. So it's like super, super similar to music. As Kyle begins thinking of himself more as an artist of movement than as an athlete, he's dreaming of his next composition. I do have one route that I'd like to do someday called the Glacier Peak High Route. It's something like 70 to 80 miles and like 30,000 feet of gain, crosses like 15 glaciers or something, and like um, incredibly consistently beautiful. When I do it, that's going to be like what I believe like one of my greatest works of art, you know, if you look at like composing these routes as an artist, I I really like those passion projects that maybe they're not the most technically impressive. Maybe they're not the fastest, but they're projects that are obviously a production of not just an athlete, but like a human being. I was born to climb the mountain, but I turned before the top. I was meant to run a marathon, but one day I just stopped. When my will grows weak and tired, suddenly I know life don't mean a thing out 
Thank you, Kyle, for sharing your story and for this awesome song you wrote. We are so inspired by you. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Me and Cordelia, whoop, whoop, Kai Engel, Bradley Carter, Kevin McLeod, Ken Christensen, Kyle McCrowan, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists themselves or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars with additional production help from Ashley Langholz, Becca Cahal, and me, Fitzcall. Illustration by Walker Cahal, graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.